Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And one of those places is in Hosea 13, 14. In Hosea 13, 14, he's actually speaking from the cross, addressing the grave, addressing death, and he says in Hosea 13, 14, I will ransom them from the power of the grave, imagine. He's on the cross, he's suffering so much, and he's looking death and the grave right in the face, and he says, I'm doing this for them. I'm gonna ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death, Oh, death, I will be thy plagues. He's saying to death, death, you just met your match. You just met your match, and I'm gonna be, I will be your plagues. And then he says to to the grave, he says, oh, grave, I will be thy destruction. I am going to win. And so he has this firm assurance he's there on the grave. This is the whole basis. This verse in, in, in Hosea 13, 14 is where 1 Corinthians 15, 55 is extracted from. It's drawn from this where it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O grave, O death, where is thy sting? Where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Maybe you know the story. It's a great story. It's a great story about the little girl and the, and the mother and... A big bumblebee was flying around, and the bumblebee stung the mother. And then the bumblebee was flying off, and the little girl said, oh, mommy, mommy, I'm so afraid of the bumblebee. She says, don't be afraid. She goes, he stung me instead of you. He doesn't have a stinger. And so he says, oh, death, where is thy sting? And we can do that. How can we possibly taunt death and taunt the grave? How can we say to death, death, where's your stinger? I know where your stinger is. Your stinger was put in the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, so you don't have another stinger for me. Now, on the battlefield, he died for one purpose, one purpose, and that purpose is given to us in 1 Peter 3.18. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ suffered once the just for the unjust, that'd be us, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God Get us all together and bring us to God. We follow him right into heaven to God. That's why he died. That's why he died on the cross. He fought and he died. He died for our sins. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was victorious and he shouted, it's finished, it's finished. Like we've been reading here in John 19, 30. John 19, 30. And so there he is. He's there on the cross now. He's dead. He's absolutely dead. The soldiers come to confirm that each of the three, him and the two thieves, are dead. And they do that with a great mighty swing of the club that breaks the legs 
of those on the cross so that they can no longer support themselves and therefore their lungs immediately fill with fluids and they drown. And so they swing and they break the first one and they swing and they break the second one and they look at him and they say, it's not worth the effort, he's dead. He is very, very dead. It says in John 19.32, John 19.32, then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first, the others which was crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. They break not his legs. So they don't break his legs. And one of the soldiers, I don't know why, but for some reason, he takes his sword and he raises it up and he pierces the side of the Lord. And out of his side flows across the tip of that soldier's spear blood and water right down to the ground. We talked about earlier how that was the blood that cried out to God that cried out to God, forgive them, forgive them. And when this happens, it's just a silence. The battlefield is silent. Our warrior savior is dead. He has accomplished it. He has did all that he did, but he died in the process. Sin was defeated, and that killed him. Death had been conquered, that killed him. Satan had been defeated, that killed him. God was appeased now, and we are free. We are free, and our warrior savior is dead. He's dead. Now, it seems like now the only thing left is to, in honor and in respect to our great warrior savior, to bury the body, to bury the body. And so suddenly there emerges from out of nowhere this person. And we look and we say, let me see now, who is that? Is that? No, that's not Mary. That's not Mary Magdalene. That's not any of the apostles. That's not John this unknown person just comes out. He's a person who's identified as Joseph of Arimathea. Who's ever heard of him before? Nobody. But he comes out of the shadows. He comes out of the corner in verse corner in, 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 in verse 38. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, who knew? But secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body. So here's this man. We never see him before. He's Joseph of Arimathea. He, who is he? We look at him and we said, oh, he's a secret friend. He's a secret friend of Jesus. He's a secret friend of Jesus. He's a secret disciple of Jesus. And why was he a secret friend? Why was he the secret? Because he was afraid. And what was he afraid of? Well, the Jews had already decided, and we read about that in John 9.22, John 9.22, where it says the Jews had already agreed, already agreed, the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. What's that mean? He would be excommunicated from the synagogue. He would be cut off from his people. He would lose his community. He would lose his friends. He would lose his family. He would probably lose his job. He would be cut off, and the price was too great for Joseph of Arimathea just too great. And so therefore he decided to be a secret friend of the Lord Jesus. But now, having seen his valiant warrior savior die openly on the cross, Joseph doesn't care anymore what happens to him. He says, I'd rather step out in the open now and give up this secrecy, which he does. And he goes and openly begs the body of Jesus from Pilate, begs the body, and probably paid some money too. But Joseph is not the only one who's been overwhelmed by what he's seen. Now comes another secret friend, a secret friend who we've seen before, but it says in th verse 39, there came also Nicodemus, which at the first 
came to Jesus by night. Oh, those are great words. At the first came to Jesus by night. That's how we saw him. We saw him in John 3, 2, John 3, 2, where it says the same came to Jesus by night. We saw him in John 7, 50, John chapter 7, verse 50, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them. But praise the Lord where he's identified here. It's now added at the first he came by night because that's going to be no longer for him. No longer coming to Jesus by night. Now in broad daylight, he comes out and he joins this other secret friend, Joseph of Arimathea. And now they're out in the open and they've divided up their work. Joseph of Arimathea has gone to obtain permission, get permission from Pilate to get the body. And while he's doing that, Nicodemus is also going and obtaining spices, 100 pound word from the merchants, getting all ready to prepare the body of Jesus for the burial. You would think that with the cross, which is very reproachful, the cross is very reproachful. I mean, uh, as I mentioned before, the, the Romans used to bury people nailed to the cross so that people would always have in their mind the shame of this person being crucified. It was very shameful. You would think with that, that that would have really caused them to be secret fans, but no. They've decided now to take their stand as Paul did in Romans 1.16 and say, count me as not ashamed of the gospel. I know it's the power of God to salvation, to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the cross has not made them ashamed. The cross has made them bold. And now they come and they want to be openly identified with their warrior savior and so they take the body, they got the permission from Pilate, they got the, the, the spices have been obtained, and now they, they both meet back together at the cross, probably lift it up out of its socket, lay it down, pry the nails off of the hands and off of the feet, and then it says in verse 40, they took the body of Jesus. They took the body of Jesus and wound it with the linen clothes. So these secret friends are now openly seen together. They're up there on the hill at Calvary, and they can be seen. They're there. Oh, who is that? That's Joseph. Who is that? That's Nicodemus. What are they doing? Oh, they're lifting up the cross of Jesus and laying it. Oh, look, they're taking his body, and they immediately take it away. Where do they take it? Some house. Who knows? Some house, some house close by because it's Friday and it's sundown will be the Sabbath. They have to finish everything probably the same time of year as now, sundown happening around seven o'clock. He dies around three o'clock. There's a four-hour window in there. They've got to obtain permission. They probably have about two hours to get this job done. So they're rushing, 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 trying to get the body ready. And there they are. They lay the body down. They reverently begin to wash it. They wash off the dust. And then they look, they say, oh, it's the blood. Here's the blood. And they're looking at that blood on the body, and they're looking at the blood, and they're saying, this is the blood. This is the blood of my warrior savior that bought my redemption. They're, th they're, th they're thinking the words of 1 Peter 1.18. We were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. And here it is right in front of us, and so as they begin to wash the blood off of the body, I'm sure they were thinking of, oh, wait, maybe they were talking among themselves, and they may say, maybe they were saying, you remember the Passover, the first Passover back in Exodus 12, 13? In Exodus 12, 13, where God had told each one of the families of Israel, blood is a token to you. It's a token to you on your houses where you are. He told them, he said, you go to the doorpost there, you put it on the top, you put it on the two sides, you watch that you see that blood. I'll see that blood. And when I see the blood, 
I'm going to pass over you. I'm going to skip you. The angel of death will not destroy you, destroy your firstborn like, it's gonna, like he's going to destroy all the firstborns throughout the Egypt. And so just imagine Nicodemus and Joseph now seeing this blood, and they say, it's like the blood of the first Passover. It's like the blood of the first Passover. It's like the blood of Leviticus 17.11. The blood where God said, the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I gave it to you with a gift. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It's the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. They're looking at the blood, and they're saying, this is the blood. Nicodemus says to Joseph, Joseph, this is the blood that makes an atonement for our souls. And you just imagine how those fathers, on the day after the Passover, after the terrible night, how they went to their doors, and as they washed off the blood that was on the door, they just paused for a moment and said, that was the blood that protected my family from my firstborn dying. That was the blood that protected my family from death. Here it is. And so there they're doing the same thing as they're washing the blood off and they're saying that. And we could just imagine how they stopped and how they thought, behold the blood, behold the blood. Whenever you think about this, I don't know, for me, I I just have this one uh, thought about them preparing this body for burial. And that was that, When I was growing up, I was a little kid, my mom remarried, and my stepfather was a writer, Ezra Goodman, and and I remember he came and and he had this painting. It was a magnificent painting that he put up in the living room. It was by Mexico's most famous artist, Diego Rivera, who was part Jewish and did the big mural in in the Jewish Community Center down in Mexico City. He did the murals all over the University of Mexico. But this was a beautiful mural. It was about seven feet tall, about five feet wide, and it was of an Aztec warrior, an Aztec warrior chief who had died. And he was laying there in his grave, and they just had adorned him all over his head and his body with beautiful flowers. And there he was lying there with his spear. And that picture just reflected honor and respect and reverence for this great warrior. That's what they were doing. They were burying their great warrior, their great warrior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they're burying, as they're preparing the body, you can imagine them weeping as they are. And as they're weeping, they're thinking to themselves, a woman came one time with an alabaster box. She was a great sinner. And she anointed his feet. And then she washed his feet with his tears. And here we are washing his body with our tears. And so they're thinking about this, and then they begin to prepare the spices. Now, the spices, in order to be prepared at that time, they had to be melted. So they were melted in oil, so that way they kind of dissolved and infused this oil, became very aromatic. And so they apply the body, they apply the oil onto the body, and then they begin to wrap. They wrap the body with the clean white linens, the purity, and they think to themselves, it's correct. It's correct that we should wound him in these white lemons because he never lost his temper. He never lashed out at his accusers. He never reviled again. He never, all he ever did is for his accusers is just pray that the father would forgive them because they didn't know what they did. But as they did that, the linens became also infused with the perfume. So they also were smelling of this perfume. And as that happened, it was almost like a fulfillment of Psalm 45.7. Psalm 45.7, which says, Thou lovest righteousness and hatest wickedness, therefore God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. All thy garments smell of myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces whereby they have made thee glad. 
So here he is. He has the, his garments are now having this wonderful perfume, this wonderful scent that's going through, and he's got a new tomb there, almost like an ivory palace, and they lay him down there. And as they put these clothes on him, those clothes were just temporary. They were just temporary. He's not going to wear them for very long, for about three days to be exact. And then after that, he's going to leave them behind. It's a great encouragement for us when we come to die as well, just temporary. And now it talks about that he's in a garden. He's in a garden where there's a new sepulcher. There's an emphasis here in verse 41 of the fact that it's a brand new sepulcher. No one's ever been at it before. It's a new tomb. No one's ever been at it before. And it's in a garden. A garden. Isn't that appropriate? A garden. A garden. Because it was in the garden of Eden where all of this trouble began. It was in the garden of Eden where the grave got its power over man where death got its power over man in a garden. So here we are, back in another garden now, where the grave is going to lose its power over man, and death is going to lose its power over man when he rises triumphantly over death. And how interesting that he, it says he was laid in a garden. It was just like a time when he said earlier, he began to speak about his suffering, and he said it was a glorification in John 12, 23, John 12, 23, when he said, Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, which is what he did, it abideth alone. But if it die, which is what happened to him, it bringeth forth much fruit. Brings forth much fruit. He's the corn of wheat that's fallen into the ground and died, and now he's going to bring forth much fruit. What's the fruit? What's the fruit? The fruit is Isaiah 26, 19. Isaiah 26, 19 states clearly, because God says, thy dead men shall live. That's us. Thy dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. That's him. He's, in other words, awake and sing, ye that dwell in dust, for dew is cast as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out the dead. That's the fruit. Thy dead men shall rise. We will rise with him. How? Together with my dead body shall they arise. And that's what happened. Hallelujah to the Lord, as Christian would say. Praise to the Lord. Now, it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.14, 1 Thessalonians 4.14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Together with my dead body shall they arise. Shall they arise. Now, it makes this point, as I was mentioning here in verse 41, verse 41, that this was a new grave. It had never been used before. Isn't that interesting? It's a new grave. What's a new grave? It's a virgin tomb. He came to the world through a virgin womb, and now he's going to leave the world through a virgin tomb, through a virgin tomb. It's just like a hotel. It's just like when he got in there and he laid down, and they laid him down, they said, that's okay, because I'm going to check out in three days. And he did. And he checked out of that hotel. That was not his final resting place. And never, ever look at a grave and say, that's my final resting place. It's not. It's not. It wasn't for him. It wasn't for us. It's just a temporary hotel, a temporary place. So the two men, they finish their work because of the Sabbath. It's very, very critical on the time there. They look around. They, there's no time to go to Bethany, no time to go any other place. They say, oh, look, here's a tomb right here. Look, quick, let's put him in here. It's the, the sundown's coming. And that's how they got him in there at that place there. Days pass. Now the first day of the week on Sunday, 
In verse 1, chapter 20, verse 1, chapter John 20, verse 1, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark under the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. She can't wait. It's dark. She gets up in the night and she goes there early in the morning. She goes there. Why? She's the only one who's spoken of like that that gets up so early to see because this is a woman, Mary Magdalene, in whom much has been forgiven and so that determines the measure of her love. She deeply loves the Lord because it says in Luke 8, 2, Luke 8, 2, Mary called Magdalene out of whom went seven devils. She's been delivered from seven devils by the Lord and so she's first there and she discovers that the Lord is gone and then she comes back in verse 2 and she runs and she tells the other, she said, they take away the Lord. I know not where they've laid him. Some churches, some churches speak so little about the Lord that when you sit there for a sermon, you say that to yourselves. They say, they've taken away the Lord. I don't know where they laid him. <laughs> Anyways, just imagine her surprise at this wonderful discovery. But on the other hand, she, she didn't really say it as so wonderful because she thought the worst. She thought the worst. She, thought, she said, she ran back, she said, they stole the body of the Lord, and we don't know where he is. This is a horrible tragedy. You know, this is kind of interesting. This is the beginning of the discovery of the resurrection at what happened. It's the greatest message that's ever come to mankind, and she puts the spin of the oh no on it. Oh no, what a tragedy. The body's been stolen. She didn't say, maybe the body's been stolen. She said, no, the body's been stolen. I tell you, the body's been stolen. It wasn't the, oh my, what a blessing, the resurrection. When you look at that, you look at Mary and you say, yep, that's me. That's me. I always gravitate toward the worst. I always gravitate toward the worst interpretations. Never the best, always the worst. I'm always thinking, oh no, and God has got much better things. But she should have thought, she should have thought because he said so many times that he was going to rise from the dead. Like in Luke 18, Luke 18, he said, 1832, he says, 1832, I'm going to be delivered to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me. They're going to spitefully entreat me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to put me to death. And on the third day, he shall rise again. But she didn't think that. She just said, no. And so how exciting it was that for the angels, and they couldn't understand why he, she was weeping. They said, why are you weeping? Why are you weeping? This is so terrific. This is so wonderful. But the angels had the privilege of making the announcement of the resurrection. Oh, I can imagine, you know, one angel pushing the other. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You know, but, but they, that's what they did at the, at the birth of the Lord. At the birth of the Lord, they were there, and they were speaking to the shepherds, and they said, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That was their announcement. That was their privilege. And now they also have the privilege of making this great announcement in Matthew 28, 6. Matthew 28, 6. He's not here. He's risen. He's not here. He's risen. Oh, and then Peter and John, they run to the grave there. And now there's something very interesting here because when you look at verses 6 and 7, John 20, verse 6 and 7, there's a real, real focus here on the close. It says here that, that Simon Peter, then come a sight of Peter following him and went into the sepulcher, John 20, verse 6, and seeth the linen clothes lie, then it's talking about a napkin. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. You know, the resurrection has two messages. The first message is that we've been talking about it. Yes, triumphant 
rising from the grave, our victor, our warrior savior in heaven. But there's also another message, and that message is, I'm coming back. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. 